Why don't you stand with me reading God's Word? This is Matthew 23, verse 24. It's just great. You blind guides, <laughs> you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Let's pray. Father, this morning uh, we ask that you teach us the difference between gnats and camels and, and what you call us in our lives to be. We thank you for being a God that loves us and gives so much to us. God, in, in the form of being able to worship you in freedom and live in a country that allows us religious freedom. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, we are going through what are called the seven woes. These are woes that Jesus gives to the religious leaders of the day because it, it is a dire warning because the religious people got so caught up in the religion that they left following the true nature of what God called them to. Uh, there are seven woes. We're doing them over six weeks because, like I said, I went to public school and for some reason I can't count. Open your Bibles to Matthew 23, verse 23. This is how it starts. I'll give you a chance. Okay. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Public speaking 101, this is how to offend people. You should try it sometime. You ever snap? Just be like, you hypocrites! What do you, it works really well. Uh, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Now, we're going to stop right there, because I'm like, you know, like a junior hire trying to learn how to drive a stick ship. We're like, okay, that's how we're going. Uh, why does Jesus go here first? Why does he start with the tenth of mint, dill, and cumin? What, what does that have to do with anything in the world? Mint, dill, and cumin. Glad you asked. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Uh, Deuteronomy is full of random laws. If you look at Leviticus, which I know you all read in your spare time, uh, it's, it's a little more ordered. Deuteronomy, rabbis believe that Moses is reflecting back on all the things that the Israelites actually learned when they were in the wilderness and just writing these things down. That's why they're kind of uh, sporadic. And so Deuteronomy uh, 14.22, is central to the law for a Jew. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord. So you take a tenth of, of whatever you get and you eat it in the presence of your God at the place you will choose as a dwelling for his name. This eventually becomes the temple area so that you may learn to revere. That's the word yare. It is, it is a positive awe, a positive reverence of who God is. You may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So you take a tenth of your grain, your wine, woo, okay. uh, olive oil. See, we don't even drink wine in church anymore. It's like you want olive oil, first one of your herds. You eat that in the temple area. Why? So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Now, we talked about this last week. A basic principle uh, to what it meant to be a Hebrew was that all of life is sacred. All of life is a gift, right? You remember that? Or not? Okay. God is trying to form his people and this idea in his people very, very early in the story. And he has called these people and now he is beginning to teach them something central to what it means to be, to what he called them to be, and that is human. He made us to be human. Scriptures aren't about religion. It is about what it means to be what God created us to be. That's what the scriptures are. And central to the understanding is that everything is a gift from God. All of life is a gift. And then you realize, like we talked about last week, that food is also central to life. You take something, you eat it, it goes into you, it gives you sustenance, it keeps you alive. And so food is central to that. So if we're taking in food that comes from the earth, that God has called good, you take a tenth, you set it aside, you consume it in the temple. For them, that means in the presence of God. For us today, you know, through the Holy Spirit, Christ lives in us, God is everywhere, because if God wasn't somewhere, there wouldn't be there. 
We realize that. But for a Jew, this was central for them to acknowledge who God was. You go and you eat this in the temple. Uh, and they would understand that everything we have is from God's hand. It's all a gift from God. And the food that sustains me and keeps me alive is not mine. It is a gift from God. Olive oil, grain, wine, firstborn, uh, meat, all from God. And so Jesus says you give a tenth of your spices. Now, does the text in Deuteronomy say spices? No, it doesn't. But to the Pharisees, they, because they were so unbelievably passionate about what they believed, that they thought that it was everything, a tenth of anything, which is probably a, a good idea. And so anything that they would actually grow in their yards, they'd be, I'll take a tenth of that and I'll give it to God. You know, today we don't want a tenth of what everybody grows in their backyard because we'd be like, oh, I rolled myself a doobie, I'll put it in the offering box. And it just, we'd be like, what's this? What do we do with this? You know, it, it could get us into trouble. Okay, so they grew spices that people put on their food as people do, right? And they would separate that. They'd say, you know, here's my cumin. You know, here it is. I, I, this is cumin right here. I don't think I really like it because it smells like sweat. It does. It, it smells really bad. You know, I, and I certainly don't like dill. I don't know what the deal is with that. Don't know what the deal is with dill. See? And yeah, they don't come in large... Like, I bought this, right? It, you don't get this much out of a cumin harvest out of your backyard. Okay? You've got to buy it and you put it in a jar and you sell it to people. Anybody grow spices? Anybody? Karen! When you get a harvest, you get a lot or a little. Very, very little. You get a tiny little bit. And so this is, this is kind of what's interesting. You get your cumin harvest, like a tiny amount, and they would count out. They would go, okay, okay. They would go, one for God, nine for me. One for God, nine for me. And that's what they would do because it was so important. They were so unbelievably religious that they would do that out of what they got out of the backyard. Jesus says, you Pharisees are so zealous. You're so religious about God's laws that you actually count out your spices, a tenth of your cumin. And you bring that to the presence of God and you go and you say, here you go, God. There's my abundant sacrifice. Aren't you pleased? And he goes, there's something wrong with that. You know, he, he's, your fixation, your obsession, your fidelity to God's laws, you are so anal that it is amazing. You are so committed to God's disobedience of God that you think in your own mind. But Jesus is not done, as you probably can tell. In the verse 23, it says, You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Well, this is something else entirely. Justice is the word in Greek. It's krino. And actually, if you go to the Hebrew of this, it means equity and rightness. And it comes to this word that's called fairness. Fairness is this word that's, it is uh, shafat. shafat. I think I got that up there. Shafat. That which is right. It is fairness. And the other word they have in this is called mishpat. And this is the administration of that rightness, the administration of that justice. And so Shaphat and Mishpat, these two words go together, and that's where the Hebrews get their idea of the word justice, what justice means. So turn to Proverbs 18.5, and I'm going to give you the, the idea of the weightiness of, of what this actually means if you look at a few scriptures and what the Jews, what the Pharisees would actually think of when Jesus says you have neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Once again, justice is a conjunction of these two words. Proverbs 18.5. It is not good to be partial to the wicked, 
uh, that, that means people whose hearts are not following God or to deprive the innocent of justice. So being partial to the wicked means depriving the innocent. These are issues where justice is not served. Turn to Ecclesiastes 5.8. You're like, ah, oh, dang it. What is that? I got cumin just running all over my stuff here. Nine for me. I should have just given it all. It's over my nose. It says, if you see the poor oppressed in a district uh, and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such thing, for one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. Lack of justice equals rights being denied. You could ask yourself almost this basic question, what, what is essential? What, what should every person actually be able to have? And you would say, well, of course I should have a place to sleep. Every person should have a place to sleep. Well, okay. Every person should have some food to eat, right? So every person should have something, something to eat. Every person should have clothes because you obviously don't want to see me running around naked, right? So everybody should have clothes. That would be a good thing. Every person should have clothes, food, shelter, clothing, stuff like that. And when someone is deprived of those, that is considered a lack of justice. Go to Malachi 3.5. Last book in the Old Testament, right before Matthew. Okay? It's about two-thirds of the way through. Malachi. This is the whole section. It actually starts in 2.7. And 2.7, it asks this whole question about where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? And so uh, in Malachi 3.5, God speaks and he says, So I will come near to you for judgment. I will testify against sorcerers, those who manipulate God through voodoo. Adulterers, that's somebody who is unfaithful. Perjurers, someone who lies against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless. This is fatherless is the word for orphans. And deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Justice is linked with defrauding laborers. We would uh, call this fair trade. Uh, when someone is inadequately paid for the work that they do. Oppressing widows, orphans, denying foreigners justice, racism. When Jesus says, you have neglected justice, these are the ideas that the Pharisees would have in their mind that Jesus was saying to them. See, it's much weightier than what, when you just read it, you're like, wow, a Pharisee would be kind of angry about that. Depriving the innocent, oppressing widows, racism. The next word uh, he says is mercy. This is the word Elias. And if you, have you ever seen E.T.? And E.T. says, Elias. It's kind of pronounced just like that, but it's Elias. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, compassion, this is active pity. It's not like you walk by somebody and they're hurt and they're rolling a lot of pain. You go, oh, sucks to be you. Okay, that's, that's not mercy. Okay, it's how can I help you? How can I make your life a little better? Mercy is used several times in the New Testament. I'll give you two. I'll just read you these. Uh, this is Matthew 6, 1 and 2. It says, be careful not to do your elias, your acts of righteousness. It's actually in quotes. Uh, before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he ties this together. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. What he does is he links mercy to giving to those who are needy. In Acts 3, 1 and 2, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. Elias is used for this reference to every day to beg, seeking out pity from other people. Jesus says, You give a tenth of your spices. You are so devoted to the tiny matters of God's law. But in your devotion to tiny matters, you have neglected the weightier matters, justice, mercy, 
and faithfulness. Faithfulness is this word, it's pistis. It means uh, fidelity. It means true-heartedness. This is the calling of God on people to live a certain way within the world. And so Jesus says, you have failed to show the world what God is like by how you live. That's what he says. And so Jesus holds up these two sides, giving a tenth, your tithe, your own individual walk with God. And then there are other matters. The innocent are deprived. Uh, the laborer doesn't receive his wages. Justice is denied. And he says, you are so zealous about the individual morality that you try and keep, this rule keeping, that you have lost God in the process. And then he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, latter and former always throw me off because I'm like, which one goes... Where? But Jesus takes it up for me because, you know, he says, you should do both. So, oh, okay, I got it. I can, I can do that. Your own obedience to God, which is good, but that should never get in the way of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. See, what Jesus says is how you spend your money matters. The websites you visit matter. Who you sleep with matters. The drugs you take matters. The gossip you spread matters. The language you use matters. Your sexuality and how you understand it matters. The things you think about in your mind Matter. Forgiving others matters. Cheating matters. Stealing matters. Lying matters. Your devotion to God and the way you do it matters. They are deeply important to God. What you put into your body as well as what comes out of your body is important. Why? You're like, I don't want to be wrong. (laughs) Because all life is a gift from God. And what you do with it matters. That's what that's about. And so Jesus uses the phrase, and Jesus, not me, okay, he calls justice, mercy, and faithfulness the more important matters. Your own walk with God is important. Yes, that's good. But what is more important? The weight of your matters. To the Pharisees have said, you've been so careful to make sure that you live your life this way that you have left God behind. You forgot about who he is. Rob Bell actually sums it up like this. He says, the world is suffering and God wants his people to do something about it. See, Jesus' condemnation of the religious people is that you've been so obsessed with your walk with God, with the next revival, with the next big thing that makes you feel good, that you have in the process missed the big picture of what God wants to do in the world, what God wants to do through you. Woe to you because you have missed the point of why God gave the law in the first place. I mean, don't you wish this was relevant today? Sheesh. Oh, my goodness. Then Jesus kind of throws this curveball. Attached this justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and it's all about context. Uh, so Matthew twenty three twenty four, we read, he says, You blind guides, again, winning friends, influencing people, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. In obscure preaching references, you really can't beat this because this is great. Okay, it's like, what? Now, first, there's this little play on words. In Aramaic, uh, a gnat is kamla and a, and a camel is gamla. So Jesus does this. You strain out a kamla and swallow a gamla. Kamla, gamla, kamla, gamla. It's like quick wits, like boom, ha, joke. <laughs> the Pharisees didn't get it either. See, they're slow too. It goes over, whoosh, so you don't feel bad. You're like a Pharisee. That's good. Uh, Jesus is genius. He, he, he really is. Uh, if, in the Luke 11 passage that parallels this, a lot of things, you know, Jesus said, the different disciples write it in different accounts, different perspective. And, and you, he's hammering home this point about weightier matters. And, you, and why does he end it with gnats and camels? In the Luke version, what Jesus is at, he just finishes speaking, and he's at a dinner. So this takes place over dinner. He says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. You neglect justice and the love of God. Same idea, different perspective. So the Pharisees were so zealous, they would separate their cumin 
okay? That smells like sweat. This is nasty. And they would say, see, God, I love you. I love you. But what the Pharisees would do when they ate and drank, they were terrified that they would get a bug in their drink. And so they, they had this whole complicated system of how you drank this because they didn't want to get, you know, you're not allowed to eat bugs unless they're locusts. And so in that's a bug, so you're not allowed to do that. So you wouldn't drink with the Pharisee, this complicated set of strainers on top of all these cups. And you'd be like, okay, I, you know, I, I want to drink something. You don't want to get a gnat in there. So you'd be like, oh, oh, let's toast to this. Oh, yeah, let's, oh, let's, oh. So you want to get a gnat. And so it's like this Monty Python sketch. It's like, it's like the cheeses of Nazareth. You know, the, nobody got that. That was great. Okay. All because they just don't want a gnat. And they're wine. So they're doing this whole little thing. Why don't they want a gnat? Our answer? It's disgusting. It's like, you don't want a gnat because it's nasty. It's like, ooh, gross, from the book of Duh, right? <laughs> this, this for a Pharisee, though, a gnat is connected to their holiness. And so a Pharisee would have this understanding of why things had all fallen apart for them. Okay, they are the Israelites. They are supposed to be God's chosen people, descended from Abraham. And your job is to show the world what God is like. And your view of the world is that you were chosen. You were chosen. But in world history, it hasn't worked out in your favor, right? All right. You've been conquered by the Assyrians, the Babylonians. You've been enslaved in Egypt. And now Rome, a giant superpower, has come into your country and erected statues of false gods all over your country. All over your country. And as a good Jew, you you live with this aching. We're just supposed to be the ones. We're supposed to be the ones, and yet we're always getting our butt kicked all the time. To a Pharisee, this happened because of sinners, because of those people. And God was judging them for their lack of being zealous about his laws and his decrees. They weren't pure enough. They weren't upright enough. For a Pharisee, their drive to be ritually clean was this whole thing to show God that they weren't like everybody else. For a Pharisee, your spirituality was tied up in how well you could distance yourself from someone you thought was a sinner who were unclean, because sinners, they believed, was the reason they were in this mess. So open your Bible to Leviticus. See this good Old Testament book, chapter 11. You guys come here, you learn so much. It's great, right? Leviticus chapter 11, verse 20. It says, all flying insects, gnats are flying insects, that walk on all fours are detestable. This is the word unclean to you. They are, however, some winged creatures that walk on all fours that you may eat. Those that have jointed legs for hopping on the ground. These you may eat any kind of locust. Katie did. I don't know. Cricket or grasshopper. But all of the winged creatures that have four legs you are to detest. I mean, God's practical as a father. like, don't eat bugs. They're nasty. And so there's all these rules about types of food and unclean and clean and all these things about clean and unclean were actually about separating light from darkness and, and all this stuff. But so God comes in and he says, these, this is clean, unclean, this is what you do. Jews later came to take all these rules about food and they would call them kosher. And so when you go and eat Hebrew national hot dogs, it says it's kosher, you can actually eat that. Strict dietary laws. So as a Pharisee, you don't want a gnat in your drink because you're saying that we understand God. We get it. We know how we got into this mess. If people would just be righteous and pure and holy like us, then God would show up. He'd take care of this mess. So in that, in their wine, it would be about their standing with God. And ultimately, that they were more righteous and better than those around him. Jesus says again, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat. You are so committed to your definitions of your own personal holiness before God. But the problem is that in straining out a gnat, you swallow a camel. Leviticus 11.4, 
There are some that only chew the cud or only have a split hoof, but you must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. God says, don't eat camels. They're nasty. I've ridden a camel. You don't want to eat a camel. Okay, They're really nasty. So what did Jesus do here? He takes unclean and, and laws and gnats and camels and he deals this crushing blow to the Pharisees. He says everything was about them being right with God. Everything was about their standing with who God was, being clean, being holy, being pure, being upright. This driving thing for a Pharisee, being that way. Jesus says you are so consumed about being in a right relationship with God, spending so much time making sure you don't get a gnat in your wine that you have become unclean. Your own personal holiness that in this whole thing that you have missed, the bigger issues of the suffering of the world. That's what Jesus says. Because I believe God's heart beats for the suffering in the world. The weightier matters. You and I today are called to be a blessing to the world by what we do because Christ has first loved and saved us. All the efforts that they had in their personal cleanliness has left them unclean before God. You strain out a gnat and the process you swallow a camel. You know, so what do we do with that? I mean, some people use this phrase. They go, it's, it's just me and God. It's all about me and God. That's it. Sometimes people define Christianity in terms of, you know, when it all comes down, it's just me and Jesus. Sounds great. That's not what Jesus ever taught. It's completely opposite. I mean, some people go and it's like, I'm going to read my Bible every day. And you spend, I'm going to spend all my time in my room just focusing. I'm going to be so spiritual. And you miss the point. Woe to you. I'm going to pray. all. The, I'm going to spend all day just praying. And I'm just going to, oh, just, Pray. Woe to you. You have missed the point. You know, I got the next big thing. Oh, over here in, in this place. This is God's moving over here, and I got to go there. And people are going, oh, I got to just get there. Woe to you. You missed the point. You missed the point. Well, I've got all these rules, so I don't do the. Woe to you. You missed the point. The obsession of the Pharisees, which started with all these good intentions and love for God, had become so far out of whack that they missed the larger issues of justice, mercy, and faithfulness, which Jesus, which God never stops talking about, which the first Christian church never stopped talking about. I mean, this is, you know how they told us someone was a Christian in, in, in the first church? By how you lived, by what you did. Because God living in you is supposed to bear itself out in your life. I mean, you've got to be careful when any Christian takes a relationship with God and says, all that matters is me and God. Because Jesus never taught that. Never. God isn't just interested in saving you, though He is interested in saving you. He isn't just interested in saving you and redeeming you and me and helping you and me to work through our stuff. God isn't just interested in your own morality or your own spirituality. God wants us to do something about the greatest suffering in the world. He calls us to act. And spirituality is gauged by Jesus in the Gospels. If you've received grace from God, God has given to you. God has given you hope. He has given you forgiveness. He has given you new life in Christ. Now you are to give too. Convert that blessing God has given to you to other people. You take this gift of life and you spread it to others, the more important matters of the law. Jesus has come in the form of a man. He has died to bring us back into relationship with God. We have a relationship with God. That relationship with God should change our hearts so our hearts bleed for the same thing that God's heart bleeds for. We as a church at Element uh, are going to be involving ourselves in a few things like this. Uh, from the Tamar Center that you heard Nancy talk about. And, uh, and this is a, a center in, in a country where girls feel they have no choice but to sell their bodies for a wage. And we can do something about that. 
uh, in the new future, I, I hope to partner with a couple guys who are actually coming here now, and they want to start a ministry center and eventually an orphanage in Haiti in a place that is so bad off that's considered fourth world, not even third world. And I think that we can do something about that. There are some places in the world where they can't get clean drinking water. They can't even get a cup of water that's clean. I think we can do something about that. To in our local community, there are people who have needs, and I'm actually talking to some people in our community about that because I think we can do something about that. As a church, we have to live these things out daily, the more important issues. For you, what are the more important issues? You know, what are they? I mean, as we come to communion, you know, we're going to take time to reflect on where God is calling you and I individually and where he's calling us corporately. And then today and this week, I want you to seek ways to fulfill what God calls you to do. I mean, it could be the inner workings of the community or you through your network of friends. It could be as big as getting some clean drinking water to somebody or to simply befriending somebody around you that really needs some hope because they feel lost. It is always, always about Jesus. It is always about what he has given to us And he teaches us what he wants us to do. And so we need to listen. And we need to do that. We are now going to come to God. And we're going to worship through communion. We'll remember Christ's body and that was broken for us. And you're going to break the cracker like his body was broken. You can dip it in grape juice or the wine. You can take communion and remember that. We're going to worship God like that. We're going to worship God through prayer. There's going to be some elders in the back who are more than willing to pray with you. If you're like, I have some weightier matters. I need some help. Be willing to pray with you. If you don't know what your way to your matters are, go and pray with them and talk to them. Uh, we're gonna. You can worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the wall and in, in the back of the building. We're gonna worship God through a song. The, the band's gonna come up and play. We're gonna worship God through fellowship. After we're done, we're gonna move these chairs out of the middle of here. You can hang out all day if you want. And just be like, well, not all day because I'll kick you out because I gotta go home at some point. And just talk to each other and, and build some relationships with other people. And I will tell you this, worship is more about what you do outside of these walls than what you do within these walls. Worship is about how you live your life in front of others, how this grace and goodness that God has given you, what that looks like when it's given to other people. That's what is important. And that is what we should live our lives. Folks, God, what do you want me to do? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask you to convict in our hearts the weightier matters of the law. I mean, what that means for us. What that means for where you call us. What that means for what you want us to be. I ask that as we take communion, as we sing songs, as we worship you, that our hearts be more drawn to a place where we give of ourselves much more easily. God, that we would not be people who strain out a gnat and yet swallow a camel. But that our lives, like we talked about last week, would be this integrated whole where our hearts for you beat in time with you.